0: Since I since I gave up my time earlier, I'm only going to take two minutes. But I'm going to open up the room. And, Jack, uh, two minutes? Or, not Jack. Two minutes. No, no, this is a real this is a real two minutes. Sorry, Jack. Um, I wrote this in 2018 when I decided to launch my company, and I, I wrote it after watch, walking by a person that was homeless in the streets of San Francisco, and I could smell them, and we stopped and stared at each other for about five minutes, and we smiled. And she was sitting in front of the Facebook building, and she was covered in dirt, and I. Um, This kind of moved me, and I said, I want to to write something down. So I wrote this down in about two minutes, and that's why I know it takes about two minutes. Thank Thank you. In honor of my two children, Rosie and Truman, who have passed, my mother, my sister, my grandmothers, my partner, Nicole, best person I know, and all the women that have loved me and our current reality into being, her name is love, triage and heal humanity and the earth. I'm not here to tell you that the earth is dying or that humanity will disappear. To update you on the latest research or to further depress you into apathy and inaction by repeating what you already know that we can't seem to escape from. No. I'm here to invite you to join me in the greatest opportunity for social and economic progress in human history. The opportunity to triage humanity. The opportunity is bigger than the discovery of oil, the the invention of plastics, the mass adaption of the Internet, DeFi, crypto, or NFTs combined. Like the Marshall Plan before us, restoring Europe from tatters, we must not focus on specific returns from specific investments, but recognize that building a sustainable economy, developing least developed people and countries, restructuring the infrastructure and investing in people of those already here will massively grow the pie for everyone. The Marshall Plan is no throwaway analogy. Because we are facing the same level of destructive forces that the Second World War brought upon Europe. I wrote this in 2018. With a concentrated effort, the level of D-Day being our only solution. Twenty trillion dollars is not enough. This is about rethinking all human and natural systems, not a year from now, not, t- not tomorrow, but today. Total war and total unity. <clears throat> Sorry. Rosie the Riveter is my daughter and now an angel, every citizen working together. And Truman, my son, is my general, and every institution working alongside. There is so much time, talent, and treasure in our collective networks, and these people can come together to accomplish anything. While saving humanity and the earth, we have the opportunity to unite like we have not in 80 years. Men and women, young and old, all colors, creeds, sexualities, and levels of wealth and moral inclinations. Jack. Uniting for for the most common purpose of our most basic impulse. The impulse to survive. But not just surviving, thriving. How do we thrive? And this is why it is the greatest opportunity. If we survive, then we will thrive. We know that with great challenge and trauma comes great opportunity. This is it. And let's focus on the opportunity to move the world forward in a way that human beings have dreamt of for 10,000 years. Anything else is just rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic while the band plays a goodbye tune. We have to stop defending our turf and open source all solutions. We have to hyperscale all old and new solutions. We must not waver in the face of greed and fear. We must stop putting people in boxes. I learned from my grandparents that served in three wars that half measures will not work. I know when I pass, I'll have my ashes spread on my grandparents' tomb. and My tombstone will say he was all in. I have detailed plans that come from this collective wisdom of listening to 30,000 people across the globe over the last 15 years. We must drop our pettiness. We must prepare for the greater than 50% chance that it's too late and buck up. Love and light are the answer. We must stop demonizing our leaders and open real dialogue versus calling names and shaming and blaming. We are so worried about right and wrong. We must commit 100% of our focus to the solutions, solutions that I believe in today Build your businesses like a tree. Take everything you need and drop a thousand seeds. It's not that hard. Go long on humans. Invest in people. I'm all in. Are you?
1: Thank you. Thank you so much, John. I think today, so powerful. We hear so much about the tech. We hear so much about the programs, but we never stop and think about the people. We're all people in this room. We're people first. And I think putting people in boxes, right? No light, no sunshine. Just think about that. There's 6.6 million people in the criminal justice system that we forget about. 4.5 million of those people could go back at any point. They're on parole, probation, technical violation. They're back in a box. So we've got John Cranley here, former mayor of Ohio, Sarah Truebridge, researcher, author, and Scott McIntyre, who's just amazing at everything. (laughs) Um, So John, tell us about the work you're doing, and then Sarah, tell us some of the stuff about resilience and education.
2: Thank you. I'm John Cranley. Um, Until January, I was the mayor of Cincinnati for the last eight years. Um, I understand that you met my successor, my good friend Aftab Perval, earlier. Is that correct? Did you guys all—he came here and you, you guys all saw him. He did. So you can see that they—they they got tired of my good looks and decided to go with an ugly mayor. <laughs> now I'm kidding. Uh, he's doing a great job, and uh, I'm proud to say that I was term limited out. And so, uh, he and I have had a great working relationship as he has transitioned in. As we talk about criminal justice, social justice, and and just to be clear, I'm happy on question and answer to take any questions about the city. I was a city councilman for eight years in addition to mayor. So if there's any additional questions that might be of interest, I'm I'm all I'm available. But I think it's important because I'm going to talk about that. I was a co-founder of the Ohio Innocence Project, which has gotten 34 people out of prison in Ohio through the work of uh, a project that I started at the University of Cincinnati Law School. But when you look at the longer issues of criminal justice and where things began and end, there is obviously been a great reckoning in recent years and discussions. And whether you know it or not, we are in a very uh, um, unique space, literally, where we're sitting right now. Um, because 21 years ago, this building that we're in today uh, was a nightclub known as the Warehouse. And on April 7th, 2001, uh, a 19-year-old black man named Timothy Thomas came here, and the security guard recognized that he was wanted on curfew violations and a few minor traffic tickets. And the security guard, who was an off-duty police officer, proceeded to attempt to arrest uh, Mr. Thomas. Mr. Thomas ran from the front of this building. Uh, and that led to a foot chase with the police, and ultimately he was shot and killed uh, by the police, uh, by the Cincinnati police. And he was unarmed, uh, was fleeing from the police, so he posed no direct threat to the police. Um, and that sparked uh, several days of rioting and unrest that set this city back 50 years. And... We would not be sitting here today if that hadn't happened. And every time I speak here, I try to remind people of the importance of this building. Cincinnati has seen a dramatic renaissance. At that time, most people in this room at this moment would not feel safe in over the Rhine where we've been all day, where you've been all day. And the transformation is in part due to many wonderful things, including the city, which I'm proud to have been part of, and 3CDC, which you may have heard of, and our business community, and this organization, and so many other things. But as we talk about human impact and criminal justice, I want to be very clear about this. Cincinnati is the only city in Ohio that was ever in decline in all of the major cities outside of Columbus, Cleveland, Dayton, Toledo, Akron, Canton. The only major city that was in decline is rising again. And for the first time in our census in 2020, since 1950, the population was up and not down, and poverty went down one and a half times faster than the state of Ohio. The Midwest, in general, has been in decline since the 1950s. Very, very few cities have made the comeback. I think I can say with a great deal of authority that the most important reason that Cincinnati is coming back is because we got serious about racial justice and gay rights. And we are now the leader in police community reforms in America. And I mean that literally after the murder of George Floyd, I was asked by the U.S. Conference of Mayors to write a report for the rest of the country. When Stop and Frisk was struck down by a federal judge in New York City, the New York judge cited the Cincinnati policing model as the role model in policing, and we're not perfect, but between 2001 and 2021, the number of shootings in this city went down by over 60%, but the number of arrests that the city police officers made annually went down by 50%. And so we have put police reform, community-oriented policing into practice, uh, and as a result... We have had the space and the trust um, to orchestrate the renaissance that you've been able to see today. And I'm happy to go on at great length if you're interested on those issues. It is also simultaneously the case that in 2002, uh, when I was a young city councilman, I, I left a law firm and I went to the University of Cincinnati Law School, and I co-founded the Ohio Innocence Project where people in prison who claim to be innocent write to us, and if we can prove they're innocent, we get them out. Most of the time, not all of the time, but most of the time uh, with DNA. Uh, many, many famous cases uh, uh, around the state, many of which have been focused on national TV. Um, but this program is one of the most successful innocence projects in the country. And let me just tell you one specific case. Clarence Elkins uh, was living in the Akron area. Um, he was in bed with his wife. Sixty miles away, a grandmother with a five-year-old granddaughter was having a sleepover with her grandmother. Middle of the night, uh, a ravenous, awful, evil act, home invasion of a man who raped both women, the girl and the grandmother, and tried to kill them both, successfully murdered the grandmother, and left the five-year-old for dead. Uh, Luckily, she survived. Um, At the time that Clarence was imprisoned for this crime that he had nothing to do with, um, they did not have the capability to pull the DNA from the semen, from the rape kits. Um, And so Clarence went to prison for nine years for a crime he had nothing to do with. Years later, we get involved at the Innocence Project, and we find out that there's a man... That looks like Clarence, who, and by the way, the number one reason for false convictions is mistaken eyewitness ID. Not only did he look like Clarence, he, on the day of the murder, escaped from a mental health institution that he had been involuntarily committed to. Um, He lived with his common-law wife next door to where the murders occurred. And years later, pled guilty to raping his own children. Very likely suspect in this crime. He was in prison for raping his own children, but he was scheduled to be released in a couple years. By the grace of God, he ends up on a prison transfer at the same prison as Clarence, our client. And so we were able to get Clarence to smoke a cigarette with him. Carefully pick it up without touching it, and mail it to us from prison, which was technically illegal. And we took the saliva from the cigarette butt, and we matched it to the DNA from the two rape kits. We were then we then went to the prosecutor and said, "Hey, we have proven not only uh, that our man is innocent." Uh, but we found – we did your job. We found the – this is a Summit County case, not Hamilton County. We found the real killer, so go arrest him. Amazingly, the prosecutor refused, and so we went to the attorney general of the state of Ohio named Jim Petro. And luckily, he has a conscience, and so he got involved and didn't want to take our word for it, nor should he. So he went and got his own subpoena to get a sample uh, from the man in prison and confirmed by his own testing that we were right. And he ultimately uh, sued to get our guy out of prison and to put away the true killer. Um, I got to be there at Mansfield Correctional Institution where he was imprisoned when he got to walk out an innocent free man. One of the greatest professional moments of my life to see an innocent free man walk out. As you may know, Mansfield is where they filmed the movie Shawshank Redemption. So I got to see an innocent man walk out of Shawshank. Uh, pretty awesome, uh, stuff. And I think these criminal justice issues go from wrongful conviction to rightful conviction. And all of these issues are, I think, appropriately being reevaluated right now in light of DNA, proving that innocent people have in fact been executed in this country to also over-incarceration issues and what that has done to our communities. Um, there are no easy answers. They're not black and white. They're not as simplistic as a lot of slogans may have you believe. Look, you know, I was mayor for eight years. I was both a reformer and was hiring as many cops as I could. Um, these things are nuanced. Um, but I think at the end of the day, we have to try our best to remind ourselves that every person has dignity and whether they're rightfully convicted and need to be locked up, they still have dignity. Uh, and sometimes they're wrongfully convicted. In all cases, we need due process and we need uh, humanity uh, at all levels of the system. Um, and so really, that's just kind of a smattering of things that I've been involved in. Um, I'm happy to take questions on that or the city or anything else on your mind. That's no, a lot of
0: powerful things up here. Um, Jim Petro went to Denison, by the way. As Nobody's perfect. No one's. <laughs> and we got some Kenyan people in the crowd. Um, speaking of Denison, maybe over to to, to, to Sarah and Sarah. We'll come. These we will be having breakouts at 3:30, and uh, and the, this, I think the the prisoner cluster of issues will you know you, we can visit with you on that. Sarah
3: hello everybody thank you for having me here my name's Sarah Truebridge and I am involved in a lot of different things um, I want to just say that I'm moved by the stories that you're telling, by the actions that John, that you presented during your panel, and by the stories that people have shared. And I think the one thing that I wanna just remind people is that everybody has a story, and that we need to honor each other. And I like the fact that we're ending in a way that's talking about humanity, I started a firm, uh, organization, business called EdLinks, and the I call it a mantra instead of a tagline, is educating the new humanity. And I can talk more about that, but I was asked here today because my work is in re- the world of resilience, and I started doing research in the area of resilience, I got my doctorate. I did, um, like I said, I did research in resilience, did gang work. I've worked overseas. Um, I worked in the legislature. I worked as a classroom teacher. Worked in policy, practice, and research. And years ago, I tried to get people to listen about the concept resilience from a strengths-based perspective. Doors were shut. I'm in the world of education and I would talk about resilience, talk about gangs, talk about people that were incarcerated, talk about affluent communities. I have buried kids from suicide. I've buried kids from gang shooting it makes no difference. There's still children that you're bearing. And people still didn't listen to resilience. Today, I'm now talking internationally about killings. I was the one who wrote a curriculum for the Katrina catastrophe when that happened, and they had to work with teachers were were... Um, working with displaced students and what's interesting and i won't go on too much longer but what's interesting is today resilience is the word de jour you hear it everywhere and people are bastardizing it because from a resilience perspective it's not a trait it's a process I teach education doctoral students in entrepreneurship, another course in innovation, another course in organization analysis and research, and a course in positive change, positive social impact. And resilience is a process. And if you leave with nothing else, it's understanding that resilience isn't blaming the victim either. It's not how come you can't pull yourself up from the bootstraps. It's a systemic issue. It's working with organizations like yours. It's working on your contributions to supporting the resilience of all of us to lift, awaken, lift humanity. So anyhow, I'm going to just end there and just say that I am more than happy to talk to when when um, years ago I was early on in 361 and when Mark used to say okay I'm going to ask you what's your ask what's your ask and my ask was always ask me about what I do so if anybody wants to know more ask me
4: thank you thank you Sarah so I thought this uh, this panel was an interesting um, uh, junction. you know the subject of criminal justice is is uh pretty common uh, for good reason. We finally started to see the evidence of the injustices that have happened, but we don 't focus so much on the criminal justice, although it is equally as well served by the work that we do um, but it 's societal injustice. We have whole communities that are uh, without access to capital without access to the services that we take for granted in especially in larger cities so um uh, I live kind of at the intersection between ag tech, uh, fintech, and edtech. I also come uh, briefly from academia. I was director of the University of Toledo, where I built the school's first office of student entrepreneurship. That just gave me so much insight into how to reach people where they are, how to how to give them access to knowledge that they would otherwise struggle to find, especially outside the coasts in our field. But, uh, you know, as it, as it relates to the work that we're doing at uh, two of the nonprofits that I run and one commercial enterprise in industrial hemp, all of it comes back to uh, not just uh, creating a place that uh, uh, an ex-con wants to come home to, but getting the people that grow up there to stay. And that is a big issue that we face, particularly in the Midwest. Uh, brain drain is a comment you may have heard, a term you may have heard. And it's a big issue because when any of these you know, young entrepreneurs you know, find a, a breakthrough model that they want to take, they're going to get capital, and that capital isn't typically from the Midwest, it, the type of scaling capital that we see anyway with the bigger companies. And so the temptation is for them to go out west or to go east or now to Austin or Miami, any number of uh, venture hubs. But you know we've we've worked hard to create the resources and to make those resources available to people of all uh, class in in this state. Um, I also manage the uh, the Edison Technology Incubation Fund, uh, which uh, is now part of Third Frontier. So we also saw how the state can benefit. So when it comes to the work that we're doing at National Commonwealth Group, we've built something called the Sustainable Communities Framework, and it's essentially a uh, a, a, a link between uh, making. Capital uh, accessible to everyone as well as providing entrepreneurship and workforce development resources and then ultimately creating a marketplace for people to exchange the currency that we issue through the nonprofit, which is a complementary currency. That term may also be unfamiliar to a lot of you, but you use them every day. Any of you that have ever clipped a coupon and went to the grocery store, that is a complementary currency. That is a local currency. If you've ever used a credit card with mileage awards, that is a complementary currency. You use them every day. What we're doing instead is making a a diverse set of capital uh, resources available to the entire community in ways that haven't been done before, and we do that through local nonprofits. So we, as an organization, have kind of retooled, even in the last couple of weeks, even since the last presentation that I did on this subject to enable local nonprofits to uh, sustain their own operations through the issuance uh, of uh, local currency, that they themselves provide access to people who come to them and say, I want to tear down this blighted house between my house and my neighbors. Well, why do you want to do that? Well, because it's got rodents and, you know, criminals use it and it's just ugly and it's depressing our property value. Well, these people can't go to a conventional bank because they may not have a FICO score. They may not have assets that the bank would collateralize to de-risk that loan. And so they're stuck and that neighborhood then stays stuck. And until, you know, people get together and say, hey, we're going to do this, and who has the time to do that? When people are working, they don't have that time. And when people aren't working, they're looking for work. They don't have that time. We really see that there's a, there's a gap that can be filled here with a local currency, which has been used, by the way, for thousands of years. This is nothing new. We've simply digitized that process in a way that now makes it available to anyone that has a smartphone or can carry a QR code on a piece of plastic in their pocket. And that, we really believe, is going to – it's the ingredients that we need to have, not just a sustainable community, but a prosperous community. Because as people begin to build products with their hands again, they will have a sense of pride, a sense of community that they haven't seen perhaps in a long, long time, really since the Rust Belt itself began. Here, people's intuition is to get out. Well, we want to make sure that they have the tools, access to capital, and and the, the attitude and relationships to stay local and build a community that's worth staying for. So there's a lot of notes that I took today because so, so much of what I heard today was inspirational, not, not the least of which was John's work. It's in, incredible to me that we have uh, an opportunity to really bring all of this technology, all this knowledge, and all of this capital that's out there. And we also see through a project that we're doing in Louisiana, uh, just now starting, uh, Literally, when I say greenfield, I mean literal greenfields. This district of Northeast Louisiana has not been uh, modernized since before the Civil War, and so we're going to that location with this process in a way to present a continuum of, of capital, continuum of opportunity, continuum of, of business building and job creation that involves all of us—local uh, capital for the people that don't have access to the next, which would be crowdfunding through the people that want to invest in the breakout potential of their own community, of their own neighbors, their relatives, and then ultimately into the private equity and and, uh, institutional capital that takes those stars and really begins to not just scale them locally, but replicate them uh, nationally. So we're very excited about it, and there's uh, a lot of reasons to do so. But uh, basically, it's just bringing people that are below a a line that I, I call kind of that That uh, bankability line, uh, bringing them up, lowering that line and bringing more people up into the first world economy that we're famous for, that we have more capital in this country than anywhere in the world. So thank you.
1: You guys hear me? Ah, I can hear me. <laughs> um, thank you guys so much, John, Sarah, John, Scott. Um, you know, I think the common thread as we end today is people, right? We can't. We sit in this room and think of so many creative, innovative solutions, but it ends with people. And I just want to thank everybody, you know, for the education, the housing, the legal, you know, just everything, the thought, the heart, to really think through some of these solutions. So as we're allocating and thinking about strategy, you know, carve out a small piece for people. What can you do for people? How do you support them? How do you support your veterans? We have so many great entrepreneurs, so many great ideas, but we always focus on the project. We need to start looking at the people and maybe see. Who knows? So let's open it up to questions. Um, Does anybody have any questions, comments? Mr. Rich, um, you mentioned that resilience or the lack thereof is a a systemic issue. Uh, Could you expand on that, please? Absolutely.
3: I can. Oh, I'm from New York. I can actually talk. Um, (laughs) um, Thank you for the question. Uh, Asking about resilience from a systemic perspective and so often we talk about, like I said, resilience. You hear about, you know, the, uh, what, what's internal. But the actual protective factors that we talk about that over and over and over again come up, there are three main protective factors. Caring relationships, high expectations, and I'm not talking about getting the trophy, getting the A. It's the high expectation of a keep doing, you know, stay to you know, do it, keep doing it, keep trying, or other aspects of high-expectation messages, and then opportunities to participate and contribute. I say that, and I'm going to go into more in the breakout session, but from your perspectives in businesses, organizations, and communities, The communities need to provide the climate and the support to nurture and lift everyone's resilience because I say resilience isn't a trait because if it was a trait, it would be you have it, you have it, oh, you don't, that's not the case. It's not, do you have resilience? That's not the question to ask. The question is, what can I do to lift and nurture your resilience? It hasn't been tapped yet. That's the issue. So the systemic issues and the issues I deal with equity issues, I deal with all, I mean, I work with schools, businesses, corporations on all these issues of culture, in their business, in their community and well-being, mental health, all about creating the system that will allow individuals' strengths to flourish. Great question. Thank you for asking.
1: Yeah, wonderful question. Any other questions, comments?
5: And this is for former Mayor Cranley. My name's Lauren. Nice to meet you. I don't know if you were here when I spoke. But I have a question, and then I have a, another question. Were you at the bridge, the ribbon cutting for the South Cumminsville Bridge? Was that you? Well, my grandmother cut the bridge. That's why I was wondering if you knew, if you remember. I don't know what year it was. I have a picture, and I believe you were in the picture standing behind her. Um. But But I have a question um, regarding the Innocence Project, um, and I didn't know much about it. The only thing I know about it is what you just told us about it today, and thank you. That seems like a very good project. Um, But what does the project do for someone who may be not innocent, but they may have a substance abuse problem that caused them to get into the situation they were in, how does the Innocence Project affect those people or help those people?
2: So the, the Innocence Project does not uh, help the, the case that you're describing. However, uh, there are many other options. Um, there's i uh, – I'm blanking on the name of his um, nonprofit, but uh, there's a local man by the name of David Singleton who's one of my personal heroes, and he has spent his life helping people come out of the criminal justice system. Not because they were innocent, they weren't, but how do they pick up their lives and move into a better place. In addition to his work, which is a nonprofit, we have Nehemiah Industries, which is a phenomenal uh, for-profit company that specializes in hiring returning citizens uh, to the workforce and helping them get on their feet. Uh, and there are a variety of, of other efforts. Legal aid has a very robust practice in Cincinnati to get records expunged once people are back on the straight and narrow and they're able to get their records cleaned. Um, these are tremendously helpful uh, things that are available uh, in this community. But to answer your question, the Innocence Project does focus exclusively on um, people who are innocent.
1: And while you're... We'll ask everybody. Um, what do you think everybody in the room today can do to help with this issue? You know, as we think through solutions, what do you think? And we can go down um, the line that you know we can begin to think through how can I contribute? How can I support? How can I help?
0: It's uh, it's really simple. It's uh, we are all in this room, gifted with access at all levels. And it's very easy to covet that and be afraid to give it. But if you give it, you'll get it back times ten. So access, access, access. I don't care if you're in a restaurant, if you're at the Harvard Club, if you're at the basketball court, access to those who you don't know, those you don't relate with, give them access and give them a shot. I get asked this question a lot. <clears throat> There's um so many people are
4: transitioning in their work as well as people that are unemployed or underemployed. Mostly underemployed is a big issue, both for employers and for the employees. And uh, people always ask, well, geez, you know, what should I do? I'm not finding the work that I want. I'm not inspired by the work I do. And my answer is always volunteer. Go out and volunteer. So many uh, selfless organizations need help. And every time I've done it, it has changed my life entirely. And I, I wouldn't be sitting right here today if it weren't for the fact that I've Put in twenty combined years volunteering, um, it just wouldn't happen, and the relationships you build, the meaning that you feel is uh, it's, it's endless power and it's good for everybody no matter what you do, find time to volunteer so
3: great question um, what I would say is there's a line from um, Edward Hale that talks about and i'm not i'm paraphrasing it, but it's the concept that just because we can't do everything doesn't mean we can we shouldn't do the one something that we can do, and so I would just say to everybody to think of the one something you can do, and as i'm talking, I'm doing a lot of speaking globally because internationally they do not understand what's happening with Uvalde and these shootings that are going on so I'm involved in doing a lot of talking uh on that subject lately and one of the best resources that I say that we have are our ears to listen give people dignity smile at people listen to people don't try to and always solve their problems and it's like our children those of us who have teens all you need to do is use your ears don't solve problems don't one-up them oh i know exactly what you mean this don't try to say oh poor thing listen that's what you can do. And I think just give people their dignity and just do the one thing you can do, even if it's just to smile to support another human being.
2: Thank you, Um I agree with what everybody said. You've got to get out of your bubbles. You've got to get out of your comfort zones. You've got to figure out ways to volunteer, to give back, to get immersed in organizations so you can see things from a different perspective. That's on a personal level. Obviously, as a former... Politician, I I, um, I have my own prescriptions as to what can change about the political system. On the issues we're talking about, we need to fully and better fund public defenders. Um, we need to uh, have comprehensive uh, substance abuse, mental health training for our police. Um, we also, in my opinion, need to end the failed war on drugs. I mean, I think that legalizing marijuana, for example would both dramatically reduce the incarceration rates, um, increase tax revenues, and have the effect of dramatically decreasing the number of shootings and homicides in the urban community. There are uh, a lot of the shootings uh, in urban America are related to the illegal drug trade. Um, And that is a fact. She mentioned earlier the tragedy of suicide, which is not talked about enough. Um, And that is, contrary to common belief, the leading cause of gun violence in America is suicide. It's not mass shootings, although those are obviously awful. We've had them in Cincinnati, obviously Texas, Buffalo in recent weeks. Um, Urban gun violence, which gets on the news every night. But all of that is dwarfed by suicides. And there are common sense elements on gun issues. Uh, for example, right now, if you um, own a gun and you leave it, or let's put it another way. If I leave my iPhone here and forget to take it with me, even though it's worth a 1000 bucks, if you pick it up, you can't use it because it's protected. Password. But if I had a gun and left it here, you could use it to kill yourself or to commit a crime to someone else. The vast majority of shootings in inner cities are from lost or stolen guns. And the vast majority of suicides are taking a gun from a family member. Okay, so just to give you one example, smart gun technology, which would be like smartphone technology or passcode protected technology, would prevent a child from getting your gun and using it to commit suicide. Or, if you leave a gun in your glove compartment, uh, uh, stop someone stealing it from being able to use it in the commission of a crime in inner cities. Amazingly, but not surprisingly, the NRA boycotts any gun company that even invests in the research and development to develop this technology. Evil. Evil. Nobody would be required to buy a gun like this. We don't even have the option. And so as mayor, I started a gun-buying consortium because cities buy guns for our police. And so we're pulling together with other cities across the country to organize as buyers and say we're going to demand certain actions and research and development commitments to develop these kinds of technologies. Um, And so I think these are the kinds of things we can do that touch on some of the issues that we've talked about. But, of course, I could go on forever. So I'll stop. Well, thank you, everybody. Come join our 361 firm community of
0: investors and thought leaders. We have a lot of events created by the community
5: as we collaborate on investments and philanthropic interests. Join us.